97X, the future of rock and roll with Prefab Sprout and the king of rock and roll. Also heard from Aztec Camera with their version of Van Halen's Jump. And Echo and the Bunnymen got things underway. Coming up uh, Sunday at 12 noon, catch a wave and act like Southwest Ohio is Kingston, Jamaica man with dreadlocks. Join your host, Jeff Cool Runnings Roars, as we get new reggae from Toots Mahal. Toots and the Maytel, sorry. Also, Steel Pulse and the Baja Men. That's Sunday at noon. Join Dave. Cool Runnings Roars Dave. for Dave. yes, as dreadlocks. much as I would love to hear Cool Runnings Roars doing some Toots and the Maytals on on a Sunday, it it sounds much better. It's it's less dreary than the reality yeah. is that I'm in my party dungeon. You're in your own place, and 97X is no more. We just it's do a not? podcast about it. No, huh? uh-uh. Not happening. I was, I was going to the Clark station across the street to get some gas before my air shift. Oh, wow. Yeah. And a little Debbie snack cake. When I come back in my next life, I want to be inside your head because I, I like where you're living, my friend. But the good news is, cool runnings or not, Jeff Roars is joining us today. Jeff, welcome. Thank you, gentlemen. It is a pleasure to be here. Jeff Roars was, uh, well, you can tell us about your stint at 97X. How long were you there? So I was uh, the first four-year part-timer at mm-hmm. 97X that coincided with my uh, my tenure at Miami University. So I know this because somewhere in the dusty boxes that I've moved to too many houses, I have a dot matrix printed uh, award that tells me that I was the first four-year part-timer. We spared no expense. No, no. back in eighty-seven to ninety-one, you know, they were throwing cash around like it was nobody's business. It was amazing. I think I actually might have followed you with a weekend air shift right after you left. I remember because then you were going to law school, right? Was that right? Yes. 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 And and I I fault all of you for not talking me out of that. (laughs) Uh, We will take that to another podcast about recovering attorneys. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, to get to my origin story, so I was uh, in 1986 touring colleges with my parents, and we took a look at Miami because it had been named a public ivy, which was a big thing that they continue to ride to this day as being a public school, but with ivy quality education. And we were coming down what is it, 127, I-27, whatever that one is, before you turn to go the hill up to Oxford to see the water tower that is no longer there. Mm -hmm. And I was flipping stations, and I stopped on 97.7, and there was this song on there. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the Icicle Works. This is crazy. I just got their new album, album, final, Uh, If You Want to Defeat Your Enemy, Sing His Song. But this this song isn't on that album. I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. And Bake comes on and back sells it as that's the CD only track. Uh, I never saw my hometown till I went around the world by the Icicle Works. And I was immediately sold on going to Miami before I ever saw anything. <laughs> uh, I swear to you that 97X was probably the biggest factor you know, yeah, honors program was nice. Yeah, mass communication was nice. Yeah, they had a lot of uh, really attractive young people there. 
uh, but 97X was the calling. And uh, I got to campus and um, I purposefully, over the, the year between my junior year and coming to campus in 87, fall of 87, uh, got a job on WNDH in Napoleon, Ohio, my hometown radio station where I went to high school. My first on air was the midnight to six polka-thon playing nonstop polka. So I cut my teeth on polka and farm news and all sorts of uh, top 40 that you know just made my ears curl all because I needed air checks to be able to get to 97X. So as soon as I got to campus in August of 87, I went up to the co-op where Bake was doing uh, a live remote. I want to say with Julie Maxwell, it might have just been Bake, and I handed him my cassettes. And he looked at me and he said, oh, well, thank you very much, but I think we're pretty set on, on part-timers right now. And I said, oh, that's okay. Take a listen. I'd love to hear what you think. I want to say it was a week or two later on a Tuesday, I got a call to work a midnight to six overnight uh, that coming Friday because somebody had quit. And now, now, uh, did you play polka? Polka and do a farm report for that first midnight to six just to feel comfortable? I, I did not. However, I did veer off of the programming once. On your first shift? Not on my first shift. Not on my first shift. I want to say my first shift, I, I mispronounced Bruce Coburn, Ooh. which was immediately pointed out to me by a caller. It's, uh, and for the I, I became a big fan of Bruce Coburn after that. For the uninitiated, uh, Bruce's last name is spelled C-O-C-K-B-U-R-N. But on all the vinyl there, it had co-underline and then just burn. So obviously you were just flying through no, no, that no. Part. Dave, at my era, it didn't have that. Oh, wow. It did after. <laughs> I think he's the reason for the sticker because I remember playing the be, albums. But, but the, the audience was so friendly. They're like, you know, somebody called and said, dude, that's, that's Cobert. I'm like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. But, you know, Dave, to the story about playing something off that, you know, wasn't on the playlist, um, this must have been in 88 or so. Um, maybe a little bit later, uh, it's a Sunday morning. So I graduated from doing midnight to six Friday and Saturday up to the God squad shift, which was 6 AM to noon on Sundays named because you played literally a recording of a religious ceremony from a local church, very off brand, but very in keeping with FCC's, uh, you know, commitment to local programming. Uh, but after the God squad, I'm looking back there and Mr. K had a section of vinyl that was all of these weird songs and weird albums and funny things. And he would occasionally play them in drive time, you know, when he was he was doing his thing. So I'm thinking, you know, it's like 10 a.m. on a Sunday. Nobody except my friends is practically listening. You know, I'm going to look at this. Oh, my gosh. What's this album? Golden Throats. Wait a second. Leonard Nimoy sang Proud Mary? I am putting this on now. So I slap that on. I start to play it. I kid you not, the phones light up. And people are like, this is hilarious. This is great. I, I must have taken four or five phone calls before the studio door opens up and the menacing and terrifying and incredibly great business figure of Doug Baylog pokes his head in and he goes, what the hell is that? And I said, oh, well, it's this. And he goes, is that on the playlist? I'm like, well, it's back here. He goes, is that on the playlist? I'm like, no. 
He goes, don't ever do that again. He closed the door. It turns out he was there because he was interviewing Carrie Gray for the program <laughs> manager job because Jetson had just left. So I thought for sure I was going to be fired. But to this day, that that is uh, that is the uh, the dark side of Doug Baylog that I feared. And there was so much great stuff about Doug that I loved. And I, I was honored to work there for four years. Yeah. Well, I'm proud of you for for varying from the playlist as an overnight. So Dave worked in the cave. I worked the cave shifts. You did as well. Like, I feel like if you didn't go off playlist when you were working overnights, like you shouldn't have been working there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, especially because all of the young goth ladies who would call and make requests, you had to keep them really happy. I had a I had a, a little flock of uh, of Kate Bush loving gals who would come and see me at Bogarts when I was down there for different things. Um, but I do have I do have to take issue with your uh, Bella Lugosi's dead rule uh, that this is only two Bella Lugosi's dead because, as I understand it, that's what you guys who actually got to see the sunshine when you were on the air would play to go to the restroom. Well, for us guys on the weekend when nobody's there uh, and the Clark station doesn't open until like six o'clock. I needed a little bit longer, so I was I was a pure Sisters of Mercy This Corrosion album version, which is 11 minutes and like 27 seconds long. Gives you a full two more minutes, bang for the buck. Wow, <laughs> wow. yeah, I never knew that because I didn't do overnight that long. They put me right into that daytime. Oh, day, well, day I, I, don't think you're, I don't think you were allowed to play This Corrosion. I think it was Day Parted. <laughs> Definitely, Lucretia, my reflection is not seeing the light of day. Like that's that's later in the evening. Now, we, we've we've had the pleasure of interviewing quite a few of the on-air talent, uh, you know, throughout the history when I was there, when I wasn't there, and people I listened to before I was there and after. And there are always certain artists that identify or genres of music with, with different uh, people. Julie For uh, Jay Foreman, Julie Foreman, always think of industrial dance kind of dance stuff, uh, for example. Um <clears throat> But for you, that's why I brought up Prefab Sprout. Oh, you yeah. carry the flag for bands like Aztec Camera, Prefab Sprout. Uh, uh, oh, golly. There's, I, I towed the wet sprocket you were all oh, yeah. over. Yeah. Oh, man, I, you were towed in my eyes. So well, it, was, it was amazing. I, I have many stories on each of these. Let me start with Toad, though, because one of the things that was great about 97X is just the confidence it put in people, including part-timers, you know, to keep that... that Radio station on the air. Like when you're you're, you're overnight, you're it. Mm -hmm. So if something goes wrong, you got to either figure it out or you got to get somebody on the horn. And that, you know, as I as I grew there, as I moved into the daytime on weekends, and I would do some fill-ins and things like that, gave me a lot of confidence. Such that when I was a junior, I created a music video show at uh, at Miami uh, University called Progressive Visions, and. Wow. We had a staff of like 26 folks. I was a producer, editor, on-air host, troubleshooter, getting more mail than anybody else in the mass comm department because all the record companies are sending me three-quarter-inch tape of the latest music videos. And Toad, uh, I'd gotten turned on to them because when their first album came out, they sent it out on a cassette. Um, I remember it was a green J card. And I don't even remember if the track listings were on it or the band name. But I fell in love with that group over the summer. And um, when I started the music video show, uh, I think they had come out with two albums. They both gone gold. And uh, I approached uh, Ozzy's Balcony because I had reached out to Toad's management 
And I was going to be able to book Toad the Wet Sprocket for 500 bucks for Ozzy's Balcony. And the guy who booked shows there wouldn't do it because he didn't think they'd fill the place. <laughs> and it infuriated me. This was as a senior. It infuriated me. Uh, my ex-girlfriend, the year, a year after, she had stuck around for another year, ended up booking them to play Shriver Hall the next year. I wasn't able to go. She's hanging out with Toad the Wet Sprocket. I, I am feeling very bad about myself. Like I should have just shilled out 500 bucks and brought them in. So then you depart abruptly, right? When you, you graduated, it's like, I'm out of here. And then you said you're going to sue us because we didn't get you out of law school, right? Is that how that works? Yes, just horrible mentorship by the entire <laughs> staff of, of 97X. Like nobody took me aside and said, what the hell are you doing? You've just gone to over 100 shows for free during your college years. You have a CD and vinyl collection that rivals, you know, no one. So uh, you've got all this stuff. But uh, no, I, I decided to go to law school to um, protect artists' rights. I, I was really interested in First Amendment law, copyright, trademark. Um, and I did try to get a, a job at the, um, uh, the alternative station in Boston. Um, but it just never, I didn't work that too hard because law school was, you know, more than enough for me. But mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those moments where because of 97X, because of the video show, I, I, I want, if I have one regret, it's that I didn't at least throw an application over to MTV um, because I just had a, I had a ton of experience, but I didn't, I didn't think of it in the context of business because mm -hmm. I, I was a marketing guy or I, I wasn't even a marketing guy at that time. I was communications and I did not take business courses at Miami. And, you know, where you you guys working full time or, 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 you know, able to interact with Doug and Chris and kind of see the business of the station, you know, when you're working weekends, you're seeing the person before you and the person after you, and then you get invited to some station stuff. So it never clicked for me until really years later, like, wow, that would have been an interesting thing to, to take a swing at, because that was the era of 120 minutes. The first real world happened in that era. Um, Matt Pinfield got his start. He was encyclopedic about certain music. Um, I was pretty encyclopedic at that time. But my tenure really ended right as Nirvana was coming out because I remember in one of my last shifts playing uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit and it was day parted. We couldn't play it earlier than 7 p.m. So it must have been like a summer shift that I was filling in for somebody and playing that. And that's that was the line of demarcation when music changed for that era, not just alternative music. So uh, yeah, I went to law school, realized uh, after practicing a couple of years that being a litigator is reliving the worst moments of other people's lives. Mm. That's no fun. So uh, jettisoned to LexisNexis, caught the marketing bug, jettisoned to um, a dot-com uh, agency that imploded in the dot-com era, went to another agency, became president of that agency, uh, forged partnerships with Exact Target out of Indianapolis, got recruited there. Um, Got to actually scratch my music itch at Exact Target by programming the music and helping to book uh, the performers for our annual conference. So I got to book They Might Be Giants. Oh, nice. For, uh, I got to book, uh, I got to help book, I should say, um, Imagine Dragons when they first came out before they became, you know, just a, a hit machine for, for uh, concert rock kind of stuff. The Avid Brothers, you know, just really cool things. But then exposing people with the soundtrack for those conferences um, and people had asked me for, you know, copies of this. This is pre-Spotify or whatever, you know, basically just posted on Apple Music or what have you. 
So I've always maintained that. I try to um, find music in weird places. Uh, I like following the rabbit hole, going down the rabbit hole uh, of discovery of music still. Um, and fortunately, my kids have picked up some of that. My, my daughter's a big Kate Bush fan. We trade music back and forth. Uh, my son is a musician and and uh, and also has a really good palette of of uh, music that he listens to. So uh, it's a family affair. I love it. I love it. And uh, it's interesting that uh, you even before you talked about uh, the the video show Progressive Visions, like just when you were talking to Dave about those, you're, you're citing like album titles, like it's it's locked in your brain. I mean. Uh, like has that you've always been that way where it's not just song but album and that deep yeah into to, it? I would say to a degree I'd say as I've gotten older and farther away from it it's the things that were really meaningful to you in a moment that really got locked in um, I still stumble sometimes into things I haven't heard in years and just a wave of emotion and memory kind of come back um, you know one that I've shared on social media before uh, that was you know brought about because of of ninety seven X. Uh, I want to say it was April uh, 1990, because I think I was coming back to school, so it must have been uh, right before summer after my junior year. Uh, went to see the Violent Femmes at Bogarts. And I uh, was there with my, my friend Rich, and um, we were a couple people off the stage there. And I, I don't I know Bogarts is, Bogarts is still in existence. I don't know if they still have the, the huge velvet red curtain that would separate audience and backstage. But this is an April day where it's sleeting outside. So it's like 33, 34 degrees with sleet. And inside, it's a sold out show because the femmes always drew. And you could still smoke. So it's not only inside packed crowd standing room only smoking. It's also all their body heat heating up the entire venue. Now backstage, they've opened the backstage door. So you've got moist air coming in and they're burning incense. So they've got smoke back there too. So now you've got a cold backstage, a hot front of stage. They open up the curtain. By the second song, a cloud had formed above them. I kid you not, in Bogarts. And I hit my friend Rich and I point up and I go, dude, it is raining on stage. And he goes, no. And he looks up and he's like, oh my God, you're right. And so without missing a beat, because he's from Wisconsin, we're big Femmes fans, we look at each other, we turn and we yell, because they've just stopped playing a song, they're starting the next one, we yell, I hear the rain. Yeah. And Gordon Gaynor would put out his hand, and he's feeling the rain, and he steps to the microphone, and he goes, I don't know if you can see it up here, but it's raining on stage. He was kind of like, you know, had that, that Bob Dylan kind of quality to his voice when he spoke. And that's the moment we yelled it. And he looked at us and looked back, went over to Brian Ritchie, the bassist, and lo and behold, they stepped to the microphones, putting down their electric instruments so as not to get electrocuted, and sang I Hear the Rain, which is an a cappella round from, I believe, Hallowed Ground. And it that is a moment seared in my memory. And I discovered today, because you guys just calling me and scheduling this put me down memory lane, I found that I have pictures of that. Oh, I have nice. pictures of him putting his hand out. I have them talking to each other, and we met them after the uh, after the show. So you know, those kind of memories get seared because who who has ever seen it rain on stage indoors? <laughs> <laughs> and 
And it, and it was uh, red rain, too, because with all the nicotine that was coming out of the cigarettes. Oh, yeah, I, I, I am sure it was, it was a, an acid rain of some, of some <laughs> sort. And this concludes part one of our conversation with Jeff Cool Runnings Roars here on 97X Rumbling from the Big Bush. Time now to drop the needle to the vinyl of My Corrosion from Sisters of Mercy. 97X. Guys, guys, I got an idea. How about we do a song that's not whiny bullcrap? Rumblings from the Big Bush.